we've been working together through a series that we've called Values and just wrestling with, uh, wrestling with some, you know, small questions, you know, why do we exist? <laughs> why are we here on the earth? Why, why doesn't God just take us home yet? Um, what are we supposed to be doing? What should we be investing in? This is just not going to cooperate with me this morning, I can tell you already. <clears throat> um, and as we've done that, we've, we've tried to look at those questions through the lens of a couple of what we call core values. Um, what are the things that are guiding our decision-making? When we make a list of priorities, what are the things that are top priority? And so as we, if you've been together with us for the last couple of weeks, we've visited some, some, some of these ideas. We've visited these ideas uh, from a number of different folks. Um, Pastor Oren got to share with us, and last week Pastor Ryan shared with us that we hold God's gifts with open hands. God gives each of us uh, resources, experiences, and abilities, so we share them generously with others. Um, and I'm not going to preach these again. I'm just going to read them, okay? <laughs> um, we collaborate rather than compete. Jesus has one body, and we're all on his team. We work together with others who are seeking his kingdom first. It's not just about us. Uh, we journey together. Church is more than just a place to attend. It's a family to belong to. And we grow together when we follow. We grow when we follow Jesus together. And we trust the Bible. We depend on Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through His Word. We want to put Jesus first. We center everything on Jesus' love and grace because He alone has set us free. And so as we gather together as Neighborhood Church, these are some of the values that we have said, like this is, these are the hills we're going to die on. These are the things that we're going to advocate for. This is the way we're going to make decisions. If it's not Jesus first, we're not going to do it. If we're not collaborating, then we're not going to do it. If, we're not, uh, if it's not based on Scripture, if it's not trusting what the Bible says, then we're not going to do it. Um, and all of that ties into our mission that we are inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Whatever we do, um, whether it's this morning, whether it's uh, meeting in a home group, whether, it, whether it's meeting on Zoom, on the internet, whether we show up uh, when people just, strangers randomly text in, our goal is that we want to invite them to meet Jesus and then to follow him, to have a clear picture of who Jesus is as he presents himself in Scripture, as he is manifesting himself in our lives, and then an invitation also to follow him. Now, uh, these are our core, and there's one more that I'm going to add this morning to discuss. And this one is the hardest one, hardest one to, to boil down into a few words. This is, this is clunky. All the rest of them are, are kind of clean, and this one's a little bit clunky. We hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. We hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. The truth of the gospel never changes. And we trust the Holy Spirit to help us creatively reach our community. The, the, the foundational principles of our faith have been the same for generations. We are not writing a new gospel. Like the one that Jesus gave us is good enough for us. And so we're going to try to communicate that um, to, our, to our neighbors. However, over the generations, things have changed. Neighborhoods have changed, communities have changed, languages have changed. Like when, when we read the Great Commission, or when we read the Great Commission, we don't read it in Greek. Even though it was originally written in Greek, we don't read it in Greek because anybody speak Greek, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
We want to follow the Holy Spirit as he helps us to creatively reach our community. And in order to reach our community, we kind of just have to learn how to speak their language. And so we want to hold fast to the mission. We want to understand that we're inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, that uh, we are to go as we are going to make disciples of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we need to speak that, communicate that in a language that people understand. Um, and to show that, to begin to wrap our heads around that, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, if you would like to do that, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to be in verses uh, 19 through 27 this morning. Uh, if you're following along in the Blue Bibles, it's page 1194. And you can do a little dance in your heart if you were looking forward to dancing. I guess we're missing that. <clears throat> 1194, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now this letter is really interesting to me. Uh, this is a letter. We're reading somebody else's mail. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Uh, it's a city in Corinth. And, and Corinth was really interesting because they were blessed at the outset to have a number of really gifted communicators be a part of their congregation when they started. So Paul was the first one to come to the city of Corinth and to tell people, hey, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Y'all should follow him. And so that started the church. When you got a group of people that are together trying to follow Jesus together, like that's the beginning of a church. Paul started that movement there. And then as he uh, would do, he would move on to the next city. And they had a couple named Priscilla and Aquila who were also gifted teachers. They were a part of that community. And they kind of, it seems like they, they took, some, took the reins over from Paul and teach and equip. And they discipled a guy who apparently was a, an off-the-charts great speaker, a great communicator. His name was Apollos. Um, and he was discipled by just some normal church members there, Priscilla and Aquila. He, they, he had an understanding and he had a gift to communicate, but he didn't quite understand all of the gospel. So they t explained that to him and he starts teaching. And so this church at the outset just had a, a, a huge roster of gifted teachers and gifted preachers. But what they did with that, what they did with those gifts is they, they divided themselves up and, and put on different jerseys. And, and some of them were saying, I'm team Paul. Like Paul started the church. I follow Paul. If Paul ain't preaching, I'm not listening to it. And some of them put on uh, a different, they would, they would say, no, 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 I like follow Peter because he's, he's the head honcho or whatever. He's the one that the, the church is founded on. And so we're going to follow Peter. And so they put the Peter thing on. And some of them were like, I like listening to Apollos. Like he makes sense to me. And so I'm going to put the Apollos jersey on and I'm on team Apollos. So Paul writes this letter and says, knock it off. <laughs> he says, you guys have taken a gift and you've divided yourselves among yourselves and you made warring factions in something that's supposed to be unified. Like you guys have made celebrity culture um, an idol. You, you, wanna, you care more about who's speaking than about the truth of what it is that they're communicating. And so he writes this letter and he begins to explain to them how you should relate to people who are teaching you. It's a brilliant letter, um, and I have just discovered I'm on the wrong page. It's a brilliant letter, um, and it's a challenging letter because he spent some time with them at the beginning. He has some framework of things that he has taught them in person that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't bother to go back over in text, and that can sometimes be frustrating. But here he writes some instructions for how to regard um, for how he has operated and how the, how the church should interact with him. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he says in verse 19, 
For, I am, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do, not, uh, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul's explaining uh, kind of his, uh, his perspective and how he's adopted things, because I think, I think the accusation is that Paul's kind of a hypocrite. He, he, he blends in wherever he happens to be. And he says, kind of, yeah. But if you, if you go back and, you, and we were going to do a, a real deep dive on this, then I'd probably spend some time explaining what's in the parentheses. Because in the parentheses, he's making true statements about what's, what's true. Um, but he's saying, based on these true things, I behave in this other way. The thing that he submits himself to overall, or above all else is in verse 21, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He says, listen, I am under the law of Christ. Jesus tells me what to do, and I do what he says. That means that I'm free from some of the other uh, expectations, and free from some of the other cultural values, but... Because I'm free from them doesn't mean I'm not going to use them. Just because I'm free from them doesn't mean I'm not going to use them. I'm trying to think of an example of, of being free from something. I'm not, uh, uh, so I am free to wear whatever I want, right? I, I, could, I could wear a t-shirt and, and shorts and many of you guys would be okay with that. However, I, like, there's something in me, maybe it's growing up in a Southern Baptist church, like, I can't not wear pants, and flip-flops drive me nuts, so I'm afraid I'm going to fall if I wear flip-flops. So I'm free to wear whatever I want, but I choose to wear shoes that are closed, and I wear pants, and I wear a collared shirt on Sunday morning. I don't have to, but I do. I'm free. I'm free to wear that. I also, likewise, am free to wear a suit and a tie and shiny shoes, right? I, I could do that. Y'all might be real confused if I did, but, I, but I'm free to do that. I can, I, because I'm free, I can be less strict, or I can choose, I can choose to be more strict in how I dress. But I'm aware of who it is that I want to talk to. And so I choose something that I'm a little bit dressier than I am during the week. My hope is that if you run into me during the week, you don't think like, oh, that guy's definitely a preacher, Right? 
I hope, I'd rather be mistaken for like the landscaper than for like the pastor of the church. That's my favorite. When people, when I've like have, and this hasn't happened in, in a couple of months, but like I'd be here and get off of work or whatever, and I'd be in my work uniform, my landscaping uniform. People come, hey, I want to talk to the pastor. Like, okay, what do you want to talk to him about? And they'd go on, but they'd tell me a little bit of their story. Like, is he around? I'm like, yeah, he's around somewhere. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. <clears throat> But I could also come in on, on Sunday and be like dressed to the nines and I can do that and I can make a case for saying I should bring my best to God and these are the best clothes that I have and I think that, that is, there's a space for that. However, I'm aware that by wearing a tie, I am also alienating some people who are skeptical of folks who dress well on the outside but inwardly are tombs because that has been the experience in a significant number of churches in America, at least as people articulate their experience. So I'm gonna say, I'm free to wear a suit, and I'm free to wear shorts, but I choose to dress in a certain way. That's what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that he's compromised who he is. Um, he's not trying to be a hypocrite. He's being aware of what his audience is. Paul lives consistent with his conscience and his calling. He never actually stops being Jewish. If you read the book of Acts, and we're not going to, I'm going to give you an overview of, of his life and summarize some things, um, and you can fact check me as you go throughout the week. But he never stops being Jewish. He, in fact, goes to offer sacrifices at the temple after trusting Jesus. He lives inconsistent with his, or consistent with his conscience, and in Acts 21, they arrest him in the temple while he's offering sacrifices. Why would you go to the temple and offer sacrifices if you're not a Jew? Well, I was born a Jew, I was raised a Jew, and I think part of me honoring God is being sanctified along the way that the Jewish people were told to follow God. When God said, you're going to keep these days and offer these offerings in perpetuity forever as my people Israel, then maybe I should do it forever. Okay, that was part of his calling, but he also was the biggest advocate in the early church to say Gentiles, people who are outside the nation of Israel, don't have to do these things. You can follow Christ and honor God without going to the temple. But he would continue to act within, consistent with his own conscience. He was free to embrace or not to embrace the cultural values of his neighbors. So when he shows up at his temple, at the temple, he doesn't walk in with some chocolate-wrapped bacon because that would be offensive to the people at the temple. He's free to do that, but it wouldn't help him in his ministry. He's also clear on who authored his message and who sent him. When he gets an opportunity to speak in the temple, he's like, I need to tell y'all what Jesus said to me to tell you. He's really clear that I'm not making up the message. I'm not just doing whatever feels good to me, but I have received something and I am entrusting it to you. He is, and he's a student of his audience. He's a student of his audience both in the temple of Yahweh, the temple in Jerusalem, and also in the temples of foreign gods. There's one famous instance where he's walking around the city of Athens in Greece. And he's looking at all these idols that line the streets. And he sees this little idol off to the corner that says, idol to the unknown God. And he's like, that's interesting. We make idols to things we don't even know anything about. But as he's, he's like, that's my in. That's the way that I can talk about the one true God. You guys worship all these things and you're so paranoid you might miss something that you have this idol here to, 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 to alleviate some of your anxiety, let me tell you about the one God you don't understand 
He is Lord over all of them, and he exists. He's a student of his audience, and he's strategic in sharing the wisdom of God. He's real clear about what's most important, and he's real clear about things that are secondary. Now, we live in the era of Facebook, and everything feels like it's the most important thing that we could fight about. Brothers and sisters, do not, do not invalidate your testimony about what is most important by picking fights about things that are secondary. It is not worth it. And Paul was real clear, the message, the primary message I have for y'all comes from Jesus. And there are other things I believe that are kind of my opinion or an expression of my conscience, and I'm going to hold close to those, but I'm not going to necessarily start with those. I'm going to start with Jesus. What secondary values, though? What secondary values are we most tempted to inflate? What secondary values are we most tempted to inflate? To the Republicans, how do I act? What are, what are my words? What, what, what values do I back up and support? To the Democrats, what, what honor do I give to people in leadership? What values do they have that are consistent with the gospel? I can be either because the law that I submit to is Christ. And he's Lord over both of them. And at some point, Republicans and Democrats will all bend the knee to Jesus. And so how can I meet them where they are with the values that they have and help them to see that those values actually would be best steered towards him? And it's probably not by shouting them down. What secondary values are we most tempted to inflate? Here's the thing. We have to be clear. We have to hold fast to our mission while adapting our methods. The truth of the gospel will never change, and we trust the Holy Spirit to help us creatively reach our community. But what are our core values? <laughs> what are the primary things? Like, what are the things that we're not going to waver on? Well, I've got, I've got six for you to try on. And, and as we worked through this, and we labored for about two years trying to articulate some of these ideas, and it's still a work in progress. We've edited them. These are not Scripture. <laughs> However, what we've tried to do is take <laughs> biblical principles and articulate them in a way, say them in a way that people who are outside the church can understand what's important to us. And also tried to say it in a way that people who are like so inundated with Christian culture read them and go, wait, what? Because if it's Christianese on the cover, then I don't have to think about it too much. But we tried to articulate it in a way that even Christians would have to think about what we're saying. So we, we, like what are the core values to build your life on? And I think I'm hopeful that we can do this as an organization, as a church, as a, as a, as a, a collaboration between three congregations. I'm hopeful that these values are true of us. I think they are more true of us today than they were a year ago. And it's beautiful. I'm not going to cry. But put Jesus first. 
Like in everything you do, like how do I honor Jesus most in the conversation I'm getting ready to go into, in the, in the temptation that I'm facing? How do I honor Jesus first? How do I put him first? How do I center my life on his love and grace? How do I trust the Bible? Like how do I operate? Like do I, how do I operate when I'm coming to questions? Is my first thought, what do people think about this? Or is my first thought, what did God think about this? Do we trust the Bible? Do we journey together? Am I out here just trying to figure out how to do it alone and go my own way and I'm going to fight through? Or am I saying, I can't do this alone. If I'm putting Jesus first, he has on purpose put me together with other people that are following him. Like it was, it's not a body that exists from one member. It's a body that has many members. And so if I belong to him, I belong to them too. And I don't like them all the time. Sometimes they smell funny, but that's who God put me here to walk with. So I'm going to journey together with them. Are we, uh, are Are we collaborating rather than competing? Are we saying that it's better for us to work together on a common mission than for each of us to be able to to vie for power and to wrestle out so that somebody wins and somebody loses and as long as I win, I don't care what happens to you? Or are we going to hold God's gifts with open hands and say, God, I don't have anything. I didn't bring anything to this world. Everything I have was a gift from yours. And if you choose to take it from me and give it to them, then by all means, let me have a willing heart to do that. We're going to hold and we're going to hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. Or are we just going to do it that way because that's the way we've always done it? Are we going to do it that way because that what is what feels most comfortable to me? Or are we going to say, what questions are my neighbors asking? And how can I answer them in a way that points them to Jesus. What if, what if the mission of the church didn't start with what we want, but started with what our community needs? And what if we could be so fixated on the mission that it didn't matter what we did as long as we accomplished that? What are our core values as followers of Jesus? Paul, in 24, is fixated on the prize. He's, he's got his eye on the prize. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. I had this problem in uh, Indiana. There was a, 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 a blessed saint who every year would pay for me to be on their softball team, and I never understood why, because I don't do the competitive thing. If our team got too far ahead, I would root for the other team. I would, I would miss the ball because I'm like, we don't, need to, we don't need to slaughter them. Like, we can win them by a little bit. Like, the competitive thing doesn't do this. So sometimes I play not to win the prize, but Paul says, that's not what we're doing here. Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, uh, uh, the, crown of, um, the, the crown of olive, olive leaves that they put on your head. They, like that's the gold medal of their day. So they do it to, to put a wreath on their head that's going to be wilted by the end of the day. But our wreath, our crown, our glory, if we can hold fast to the mission, is imperishable. There is no one who will take it from us, but we will lay it at the feet of Jesus. So I don't run aimlessly. I'm not just out there like swinging at everything. I'm not as one that is beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I'm living in such a way that's consistent. I'm submitted to the law of Christ and I'm consistent with that. And likewise, I have a plan. (laughs) 
I have a strategy. I have a, a way that I'm working in this out. It's purposeful. It's intentional. I'm not just hitting, I'm not just swinging. I'm looking for the target and I'm making a plan to hit the target. I've got a method to accomplish the mission, but I care more about accomplishing the mission than about validating the method. It's humility. <laughs> it's humility plus discipline. Humility to say it's not my team, it's not my goal, uh, or that we're on Jesus' team, like we wear his jersey, and if he's the one calling the shots, then I'm the one who is just receiving orders. What do you want for me to do today in this place at this time? It's humility to say that I don't have complete mastery over the universe and not everything falls within my control. And then to also say I will then be disciplined to follow him in the things that he's asking us to walk out. Humility of discipline equals mission objectives. We can get the mission done. And his mission supersedes our organization. I'm hopeful that these values can be a guide for spiritual life, and I'm hopeful that these values will be a good cornerstone for us to make decisions as a church body. But listen, hear me. Neighborhood church is not eternal. I love it. There's nowhere else I'd rather be this morning than with you guys. I, I go and visit other churches, and I'm like, yeah, this ain't it. I'm sure they're great for their community, but it's not home. Like, this is where I should be. And we're not going to be here forever. We have a very limited window of time. Some would say it's getting smaller every day. And whether the Lord takes us from the earth to be with him or whether we all die, what happens next is not up to us. At some point, Lord willing, if he, if he, if he, um, if he tarries, if he, if he waits to come back, then we will take whatever it is that we have worked hard and labored on and like the, this thing that we love. Like I don't think it's wrong to love our church body, but at some point we're going to take it and we're going to give it to the loud kids in the back. We're going to give it away. You guys are already in part of this. You're in the room. You are part of the church. What do you mean, what about you? You are serving. Like, you're running this out. You're making my slides show up. What do you mean you're not part of this? Like, this is you. You're in the room. If there's anybody who thinks that the youth don't belong in the church, like, then you can take your place in the sound booth. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you're part of the church. You're, you're grown people. You're learning how to walk it out, and you're practicing. You're practicing alongside us. I don't know if you've noticed that your youth pastor is also the lead pastor of the church. Like, there's no division you're a small group of what we're doing here. That's, that's not in my notes. I got you, Soph. I got you, Soph. I'm not just talking to the oldsters. You're on the team. You need to get a what? Okay, I'm sorry. No, I care about... I care about you. I care about you guys because I grew up in a, in a church environment where I felt like everybody was cool with me doing all the work for them. 
but then they would look down at me as though I wasn't smart enough to actually contribute to the mission. And you guys are purposeful in how you're thinking about stuff. You are inviting your friends to follow Jesus. Like you guys are on the same mission as us. You're on the team. And so I value your input. Sorry. There's, whether we give it to Sophie or whether we give it to the kids in Kid Nation, like this doesn't belong to us. We will pour our blood, sweat, and tears into whatever this church is that God wants it to be, and then we'll give it away, either willingly because we'll step down and let somebody else take our place, or involuntarily because we'll get hit by a bus. So we can be precious about, we can be precious about neighborhood meal and say, this is the way we've done it. We've done it every month for years now. This is our habit. We can, be, we can be precious about that. Or we can look it in the eye and say, are you serving the mission? And the day you don't serve the mission anymore, we'll figure something else out to do. Because time is short and our neighbors are lost and there's only one hope. And I don't have time to get caught up in how I feel about the method. I just need to see the mission done. I need to know that my life wasn't wasted. If I'm going to pour myself out, I need to know that somebody was there to pick up the torch and to carry it in the next generation because we can't finish it. And it's not ours to begin with. Jesus will use them. If we don't get out of the way, he will take us out. There were people, oh, no, I'm not going to tell that story. He will take us. (laughs) He will take us out. He'll take us home. And that's good news. And it's also super discouraging. We can be so wrapped up and so precious about our little corner of the thing and the way that we do church that, we, that when we begin to neglect our neighbor and begin to not show love to the people next to us, um, that, that, that now we are in the way of the thing that God wants to do here. And there is no one here in the room who helped pay for this building. They're in the county still, but they're not part of us. And if we think that because we sit here today that we're the ones that got it figured out, like we need a dose of humility and we need to know that he will get it done with or without us. And we can be in the way or we can be walking in step with him. But the thing that he has important, the thing that he is fixated on is seeing lost people come to know him. So we hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. Did you know we're not saved by all this good works, but that God has stuff prepped for us. He's got, he's got things on the shelf for us to do. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't accomplish this. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has come up with things. He has gifted you, specifically you, to accomplish things in the world that only you can do. And in the days that we say, yeah, I'm good. I'm just going to do the thing that I like. We're leaving good works on the shelf. A 
and the world I'm looking at needs some good work. There needs to be some good news in our communities. And God, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to prepare some good works for you to do. Not because it's going to save you. Like he says, I'm already doing that. I gave you that gift. But I've given you all of these gifts in order that my work in the world can be done through your hands. I don't know why almighty, incredible maker of stars decides that I'm going to limit myself to the work that, uh, that I can do through the hands of ordinary humans. They don't, I don't go in the dark. I don't have any powers. I, I think you'd follow me around for a week. I think you'd be disappointed to find I'm just as human as you. And yet God in his infinite mercy and his wisdom, he says, y'all's hands is the one I'm going to work through. God often does supernatural things by merely human hands. He's prepared good work for us to do, and he means to use us for as long as we'll follow him. Our organization will not exist one day, but he will stand forever. Now, as we're closing, oh, sorry, <clears throat> we went off on a tangent. But as, as we're moving towards closing, this is the hardest one to kind of articulate of our values. Um, and it's at the end for a reason. Like, there's a reason why we're closing here. I think it's significant. I think it's important. It's on the list uh, 100%. I'm, I want to do it, but, but it's at the end for a reason. And I think that that's the difference between bones and muscles. If you got all muscles, you're real flexible. But you're not going to be able to move anywhere, <laughs> right? There's structure, and then there's strength and flexibility. And so if we're, I want to be committed first and foremost that we're committed to the gospel, we put Jesus first, we trust the Bible, we have that structure. We're not just like laying aside everything and saying we're not submitting to anything, we're free to do anything we want, and so we can go sleep with a prostitute as long as we share with the gospel afterwards, right? Like that's not what we're saying. We're saying there's structure to the flexibility. And I don't know, I just want to show you this because it's not my idea. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. It's on page 1218. And in the history of our congregation from 2014 till now, this is probably the passage that's been preached the most regularly. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> uh, and I'm, I'm going to start in verse 1. Therefore, I, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there's one. There's one team. It's Jesus' team, and we're a part of it. We're playing you know, I don't want to say center. Like, we're playing fullback. I don't know. I don't know sports ball. Like, we've got a position on the field, and we need to play it. We need to play Forest, Forest team, Ocala 2023. I'm not interested in playing Forest team, Ocala 1987. I want to play 2023. I'm not interested in playing Baseline Road. I'm on forest team. I'm clear about my position, and I'm going to play on that. But there's only one body and one team, and we play on that. 
So then, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And what do we do with those gifts? Jump down to verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith, of knowledge of the Son of of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Pastors, shepherds, leaders equip everybody else to do the work of ministry. Pastor Mario says it this way, congratulations, you work here. Shopping at Publix is different when you've got a vest on or the green polo. So you work here. This is is as much your workplace as it is mine. People say, hey, can, can I borrow your printer? It's not my printer. It's our printer. It's not my building. It's our building belongs to you. Congratulations, you work here. My job is not to do all the things. My job is to help to make sure that you can do the things that you are gifted to do. And I don't know that I'm great at that, but I'm trying real hard to figure it out. And I've got people around me that are trying to help me too. And our whole body is equipped for service. Building up to the maturity of Christ and equipped for service. That was actually where Paul started when he said, I become all things to all people because I serve them all. And the joints and the ligaments follow the structure of the bones. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So joints and ligaments follow the structure of the bones. We have to know what's true before we get bendy about how to apply it. But how are we connecting with Jesus? Like he's the head. And I think a heart is a really cool muscle, but if it's not connected to a head, it's not going to be very useful. How are we connecting to Jesus? And how are we serving those he loves? We hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. The truth of the gospel will never change, and we will trust the Holy Spirit to help us creatively reach our community. Let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, it's your church. Lord, we are yours. Uh, Our bodies, our souls, everything, all of these things belong to you and Um, and yet you still want to collaborate, you want to partner with us uh, to see your good work done in the world, and I I I don't really get it. You've got angels at your disposal, and yet you choose to use us. So Lord, help us to set the right priorities. Help us to, to, to hold those secondary issues a little bit looser in order that we might not disqualify ourselves from proclaiming the truth of the good news that you are saving us. Lord, we ask that you'd lead us and guide us. I pray that you would open up imaginations this morning to dream about the work that Neighborhood Church could be doing in our community this week. 
Lord, there's things that we can do as individuals that are beautiful and lovely, and there are things that we can do together as a body that not any one individual could ever possibly do. So would you coordinate that? Would you lead that? Would you be the shepherd and the pastor of this church? Would you help us to see where our ego is getting in the way? Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves? And I hesitate to ask, if we refuse to humble ourselves, would you get us out of the way? I ask that as your son, trusting your heart as a good father, to do what's best, that your will may be done in us as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.